really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. As always, I'm your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and you can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So with that out of the way, let's get to the show. So current updates, as I mentioned last week, I'm going to be using a few of the cool anecdotes from the book Rugby's Strangest Matches. And because the the, uh, thoughts of the week section is necessarily reserved for a topic, you can all probably predict uh, I'm going to use the current update section for this little story. I know it doesn't really make any sense, but as my parents used to say when my brother would complain about different foods mixing on his plate, it all ends up in the same place anyway. So this week, in honor of the desperate funk the All Blacks find themselves in, we're looking at a chapter called The All Black Day. And naturally, I've linked ways to purchase the book in my show notes, as always. So The All Black Day from Wellington and Durban, September 1949. Saturday, the 3rd of September 1949, was a unique day in the history of international rugby. For only uh, for the only time since tests began in March of 1871, a country fielded two separate 15s on the same day for capped matches. The country in question was New Zealand, and the games took place on two different continents. The day began in Wellington, where virtually the third New Zealand 15 faced Australia in the opening match of a two-match series. The Wallabies, led by Trevor Allen, played effective rugby, rugby and scored three tries in the 20 minutes leading up to the interval to lead 11 to nothing. New Zealand came back after the break. Jack Kelly landed an uh, eighth-minute penalty before Graham Moore, on his only appearance in an all-black shirt, scored a try. But Australia's determined defense held up, and at full time, the score was 11-6 to to the Wallabies, who thus registered their first success against New Zealand for 15 years. Later that same day, across the Indian Ocean in South Africa, where New Zealand's leading 30 players were simultaneously making a major tour, the All Blacks played a third match of their test series in Durban. They had already lost the first two matches of the series, and for this game, their tour skipper, Fred Allen, had been dropped. Bad enough as these events were for New Zealand rugby fans, for those who listened in late at night uh, to the radio commentary of the events of that match, there was even more depressing news to swallow. After a promising first half, the tourists eventually went down 9-3, to thus losing their third consecutive test in South Africa, and with it, the chance of squaring the series. This sequence of losing test matches was extended to six by the end of the 1949 season, as New Zealand went on to lose the fourth test in South Africa and the second test against Australia. Never before and never since have the All Blacks lost six tests on the trot, and if 1949 had gone down in their rugby annals as the Black Year, then Saturday the 3rd of December, uh, September 1949 was certainly their Black Day. I guess we've got a chance to match that coming up very soon. It's too good. It's too good. People have to know. Yes, Isa, it's actually some encouraging news for Munster and for R.G. Snyman this week, which has been a long time coming, frankly. So quoting from the article I found, 
Munster have confirmed some long-awaited good news about R.G. Snyman, reporting that the Springboks lock has finally been reintegrated into team training and is shaping up promisingly ahead of the start of the 2022-23 season. The 27-year-old 2019 World Cup winner has endured a horrible time with injury since joining the Irish province two years ago. Snyman initially tore his ACL just seven minutes into his Munster debut away to Leinster at the Viva Stadium after he crashed heavily to the floor after stealing a lineout ball. That was August 2020, and it was 13 months later when he made a short-lived return to action, making a September 2021 comeback against the Sharks, only to agonizingly re-rupture his ACL in his third match back away to Scarlets. Those setbacks have restricted Snyman to a total of just four appearances in two years for Munster, and have left him unavailable to the Springboks, with whom he won the last of his 23 caps with an appearance in the World Cup Final versus England. Snyman joined Munster along with fellow Springboks player Damian Dialende on a two-year deal. However, rather than the exit of head coach Johan van de Graan de Bath being the cue for the second row to join midfielder Dialende and seeking out a different club, Snyman signed an extension and is targeting a return soon after new head coach Graham Roundtree. A Munster injury update on this past Wednesday, midway through the squad's first week of collective preseason training read, there's good news on the injury front as we started the preseason training program with R.G. Snyman reintegrating to team training. It was five weeks ago that Snyman took to, uh, to social media to post a video of him running freely during a solo training session at the Munster High Performance Center in Limerick. Moving better and better going into the offseason, he wrote, can't wait to get back out there with the team. <clears throat> so, folks, you probably know, I've been, a, I've for a long time, been a fan of Snyman, who is a one-of-a-kind player. But I do find it a little odd that this article very intentionally left out the other setback, which was, of course, his quite literally throwing gasoline onto a fire and subsequently suffering major burns. Believe me, I don't even for a split second think that's something to joke about. Not at all. But on the other hand, to ignore an elephant that large in the room just seems a bit dim to me. I mean, it's not like we didn't hear about that at the time. And to imply that he's just been out of commission through pure chance rather than, I mean, at least partially poor decisions on his own part. I don't know. It seems a little patronizing. It's weird. Nevertheless, it will be nice to see him back out there. I very much hope he's back to 100%. It must have been a very rough couple of years for Archie Snyman. So thoughts of the week, and as you all probably predicted already, my thoughts of the week this week are on the RFU and their frankly puzzling decision to ban trans women from playing women's rugby. I'll be honest, my podcast is still in its infancy, and as such, I have tended to steer clear of sort of political controversies just for fear of alienating, you know, potentially half of my scant listeners. In this case, though, to keep silent would just be to be tacitly complicit in what I believe is a reprehensible decision, one that will one day, hopefully sooner than later, be seen as standing very much on the wrong side of history. You know, this is a, by its nature, a marginalized community, and the fact that they've once again been re-marginalized, extra-marginalized, and shunted aside, I just, I can't stand it, frankly. What really gets me the RFU have to be one of the most obtuse, ponderous, and slow-moving organizations in the entire world. They're notorious for faking, taking far too long to respond to progress, and yet, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, with no inciting incident, they spring into action over six or seven players, simply hoping to play the, the sport they love, a sport that claims to be welcome to all people, and in a flash, they live a massive exclusionary rule that is, to me, patently based on fear and ignorance rather than any actual concern over player welfare or safety, as they have claimed. Trans women are women, and when you accept that, this decision can't be seen as anything other than 
mean-spirited, short-sighted, and utterly unnecessary. The optimist in me is reminded of, of the, uh, the don't ask, don't tell policy here in the U.S. military in that it was so overtly nonsensical, sort of by its very nature, it was begging to be challenged and ultimately overturned. Here at the Scrum of the Earth, we advocate progress and stand with all those who oppose this rash and discriminatory decision. Here's hoping we, that they see reason in the not too distant future. Okay, can somebody please remove this, uh, this soapbox? I'm not even really sure exactly where it goes. Okay, moving on to our reviews. So it's a bit of an odd thing this week. So on recent episodes, I've been asking if anyone knows where I can stream the FPC down uh, the, these New Zealand matches. And uh, so far, nobody has been able to say. Suddenly, however, this weekend, I found the temporary answer to, to my own question. Flow Rugby has got all of this round available. Well, almost all, as it turned out. And that's been lovely. So uh, of course, they didn't have the first two rounds. And as of this writing, apparently wouldn't be offering any more fixtures just as soon as the NPC starts on August 5th, which somehow feels cruel and unusual. But, you know, maybe they just haven't updated all their fixtures yet. But in any event, I've decided to be happy to have seen all the action or at least as much as they actually gave us for one round and just sort of leave it at that. So quick recap and update. In total, there are 13 teams in the Fair Palma Cup uh, competition. How weird is that? I mean, what kind of bizarro league would have an odd number like 13 total tips? Oh, 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 yeah, MLR. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, they have seven teams in the Premiership Division, and obviously the other six in the Championship Division. None of the Championship teams have played more than one match at this stage, while five of the Prem teams have also played have played two weekends in a row prior to this one. So in the Prem, only Canterbury have won both matches thus far, while Auckland and Wellington are both one and one. Bay of Plenty and Waikato have both won their solitary fixtures, and Manawatu and Counties Manukau have both lost theirs. In the championship, and by the way, if we keep calling the premiership the prem, shouldn't we call the championship the champ? Anyway, Otago, Northland, and North Harbor have won their first matches, while Taranaki, Tasman, and Hawks Bay have lost theirs. So this weekend, Bay of Plenty played Auckland, Ta uh, Tasman faced Taranaki, Manawatu hosted Counties Manukau on Friday, my time, and then Otago took on Northland. North Harbor played Hawks Bay, and Wellington willingly welcomed Waikato on Saturday. Canterboy, uh, Canterbury enjoyed a bye week. So... Getting started, Bay of Plenty versus Auckland. This one started close. Both sides, you know, just seeming to sort of try to figure the uh, the other out. We we honestly didn't see any points until six minutes into the second half when Auckland kicked a penalty. But Bay of Plenty answered with the first try of the match only a few minutes later and held a 7-3 to three lead heading into the final quarter of play. <laughs> the pitch, if you haven't watched, go check it out. The pitch had some major, I don't even know what to call them, crap zones? The crap zones were basically slip and slides made made of and using mud. Uh, to be fair, the officials seemed to do a pretty good job of keeping things under control and would move a scrum or two to get it out of these dodgy spots. Also, the comms seemed to be a bit annoyed with the number of water breaks they were taking, saying football is getting thirsty and thirstier, thirstier and thirstier worldwide, which I thought was a pretty good line. In any event, I don't know what was up with the favorites, Auckland. They just couldn't get out of their own way, knocking it on right on the goal line. At one point, on a clear breakaway, just stepping into the touchline, just basic, silly errors. This one ended, uh, as they say, one for the purists. Uh, Bay of Plenty getting a nice upset, upset despite only scoring once. Seven to three was your score at full time. Next up, of course, was supposed to be Tasman versus Taranaki. This one was not available for some reason, though I refuse to waste more time complaining about the so-called service, who have again botched their only job. Uh, later, I checked and found the score was 27 to 17, so it looked like it was a good one. Anyway, 
Manawatu versus Counties Manukau. And first of all, as I've kind of, you know, tacitly implied here, I've been pronouncing it wrong this whole time. It's not Manawatu, it's Manawatu. So sorry about that. Also, guys, County, uh, County, uh, Counties Manukau, have you seen their kit? They instantly became my new favorite squad in this competition. They look almost exactly like the Free Jacks kit. It's unbelievable. I was watching this one with my best friend and she said, maybe we should call them the Free Jills. So I think we're onto something there. In any event, this one was frankly quite a bit more exciting than the, that first match of the weekend. My new adopted team looking pretty strong, overwhelming Manawatu throughout and coming out on top 13 to 19. That score was a bit flattering for the home team, I would say for sure. The county's Monaco players were just ecstatic after all was said and done. The post-match interviews were just particularly great. You know, for me, you got to love the pure jubilation at times like this. Side note, I tried to find a county's Monaco jersey online and literally only found one. And it was a completely different look to the one they were showing today. So if you're inclined and know where to get one, please get in touch. Or you know what? Just send me one. <laughs> I would love to wear one to the next Free Jacks home game and just see if anyone even notices. Anyway. Moving on, it was Otago versus Northland, and it was a bit of a blowout, to be fair. Otago got 39 points after only about 55 minutes, Northland only getting a try and a penalty to their credit. Side note, this was another game played at Forsyth Bar, which highlights a weird thing about New Zealand rugby. Like, it's so popular, they have all these massive stadiums, but there don't seem to be any, like, in-betweeners, if you know what I mean. Like, there's your local rugby pitch, and then there's a venue where the All Blacks might play. And when teams have only a minor draw, like FPC teams, it just, it makes it look like they only have five or six fans in total. It, it just dwarfs the whole affair. In any event, neither side could find good footing in the last 20 or 25 minutes. 39 to 10 was how it would all end. Otago, they looked very strong, but I'd, I'd be a bit concerned about their inability to really sort of stamp down once they had control. I'd like to see more of a killer instinct from them going forward. Next up was supposed to be North Harbor, uh, North Harbor versus Hawks Bay. And, you know, I was excited for what I was ready to call the nautical showdown with a harbor facing a bay. But then I saw that the replay was a six minute video and I knew once again, I wouldn't be able to watch. So if you're keeping score, that's two out of the six matches that I couldn't actually watch this weekend. So I think we're right about at par for this so-called service. Uh, when I checked later, I found the visitors really blew the doors off North Harbor to the tune of a five to 32 victory. Very impressive road win. Next up, Wellington versus Waikato. Naturally, right after I wrote that last bit, I discovered Wellington versus Waikato wasn't even listed. So we ended the weekend with three out of seven matches unavailable. That made Tasman versus Taranaki listed, but no actual replay available. North Harbor versus Hawks Bay listed and replay posted, but the replay was six minutes of a test pattern and nothing else. And finally, Wellington versus Waikato not even listed. Again, I will just close my eyes, say a couple of ohms and try to be thankful that I got to watch four fixtures from a league I don't usually get to see at all and leave it at that. <sighs> Final score in this one, 16 to 23. I'm always glad to see any side representing Waikato winning, just my little sort of Bodine Waka bias showing there. So, as I said, right now, it currently seems this was the first and last chance I would be able to actually watch FPC matches, but I will certainly provide updates at the least. For the record, their official website does a good job of putting together the highlights, so at least there's that. So after round three, Canterbury, Waikato, and the Bay of Plenty in the Prem and Otago in the championship all remain unbeaten, while Manawatu and Taranaki are still looking for their first wins, respectively. Let's go, Waikato! 
Okay, meanwhile, there was some very exciting action in the Premier Rugby Sevens Championship, which I watched courtesy of Fubo TV, which is free and worked quite nicely, I have to say. First time on that one, and I really enjoyed it. They don't, however, have replays. So if you weren't watching at the time, I'm sure you can find things on YouTube. So as I say, it was a very exciting series with comms by my absolute favorite, Dallin Stanford, who again did an incredible job. Sadly, I didn't really take notes during the event itself, and as of this recording, they hadn't actually updated their website to say who won what exactly. So suffice to say, next time it comes around, I strongly urge you to tune in and maybe pay a little more attention than I did. It's electric stuff. It was really great. So, of course, this weekend also held the Commonwealth Games in the UK, which featured an awesome slate of international sevens action. Sadly, it wasn't available here, but I did go look up things on YouTube, and I got to see some of the quarterfinals throughout the finals, which was fantastic. So in the first uh, quarterfinal that I saw, Scotland, they got absolutely pasted by Fiji, to, to absolutely no one's surprise, I would imagine. Uh, the Aussies advanced through getting one solitary try to Samoa's zero. That was a bit of shock. And meanwhile, the so-called Blitzbox, a name they simply never tire of shoving down our throats, and the Kiwis also got through as well. So the semifinals. By the way, watching Sevens is very new for me, and I am definitely enjoying it. These semifinals were like a lightning storm. And Australia, they got up early on South Africa in the first one. South Africa hadn't conceded a try in the second half all tournament and seemed shocked to be behind after only a couple of minutes. Angelo Davids got both tries for South Africa in the first half to make it level at the mini break. Really exciting stuff. In the end, they'd keep their record while scoring another 12 points themselves. The Blitzbox punched their ticket to the final in emphatic fashion. Meanwhile, as I say, I'm as new as can be to, to sevens, but from what I've seen from Fiji, it was hard for me to imagine anyone taking them down, even New Zealand, though Philip Atutiet uh, reminded us that Fiji have never won gold at the Commonwealth Games. Wow, I just realized my two favorite commentators in the entire world were both on sevens duty this weekend. Very cool. So if I heard correctly, New Zealand have won 39 of the 40 matches they played in total in the Commonwealth Games. They looked calm and collected from the start, for sure. Oh, a nasty injury to a Fiji player saw play stopped for an extended spell. And soon after that, it was a penalty try for the Kiwis. Scoring another, it suddenly looked like New Zealand would be holding a shutout at the break when, after time was up, they got a little bit of a loose pass picked off for a breakaway score from Fiji, and this one was nowhere near over. Side note, the lovely folks who uploaded these matches for, for people to watch on YouTube were apparently Kiwis. So getting a little blast of those little local New Zealand ads during the few breaks, it was a delight, I have to say. Loved that. Anyway, coming back to the second half, the Kiwis made an amazing try-saving tackle, only to see another devastating offload get the Flying Fijians to the trying score. And as Philip has said, it's 14 down to 14 all, and things were level with just three minutes remaining. An unreal ending ensued. New Zealand seemed to lose their composure, finding themselves down to five players as they desperately held on to go to the Golden Point period. By the way, Golden Point just sounds so much better than plain old overtime, don't you think? Anyway, still down five players to seven. How could they possibly hold on? Sure enough, it took a mere 22 seconds for Fiji to find pay dirt in the extra time, taking down the New Zealand juggernaut and earning a trip to what was to be sure, what was sure to be a final for the ages. Man, oh man, I'm all in for the sevens at this point. So much drama packed into such a short time. It's awesome. So that, of course, led to the final with Fiji nominally the home side against South Africa, who last won gold in 2014. Early on, yet another transcendent kick from Selwyn Davids led to the first try of the match, but it would take more than a single try to rattle Fiji, I wrote. 
However, their defense looked a bit on their heels as Pretorius went in for the second score of the day and the clock ticked ever down. JC Pretorius with another incredible play, this time on defense, ripping the ball out of a breakdown and creating a third try, giving South Africa a 17-point lead at the break. And then, ooh, Selwyn Davids with another assist. This time it looked like a clearly forward pass to me, but the refs were unconcerned, so I'm sure I was wrong. And it looked like the writing was already on the wall for the Fijians. Fiji finally answered with only about three minutes to go, but they still looked a bit stunned at how things had gone for sure. The South Africans poured on an insult to injury try with just about 16 seconds remaining. And that's how they would sew up yet another gold medal, coming away absolutely dominant victors 5-29 to 29 in Birmingham. Fiji would have to take pride in yet another silver being added to the trophy cabinet, by no means their ultimate goal. Great, great stuff. Just truly enjoyed this little foray outside of my beloved 15s. Really worthwhile. Fantastic stuff. Well, by the music, you will know that it's time for this week's Diamond and the Rock Award. And this week... We are, of course, giving it to Selwyn Davids of the gold medal winning Blitzbox, who duly, duly earned their nickname this weekend in Birmingham. Mr. Davids, you may have single-handedly turned the fortunes for your side in an incredibly intense series for the Commonwealth Games, with your sorcerous kicking game the big difference in the end. Where others feared to boot, you were fearlessly finding small gaps at huge spaces. That one element for your gold medal winning side was like a beacon at the forefront of your success. You may look 38 years old, but as Indiana Jones famously said, it's not the years, it's the mileage. And the miles you clocked this weekend secured a gold medal for the Rainbow Nation, the first since 2014. I've quickly learned it's hard to be a menace on both sides of the ball in sevens, but that's exactly what you were. And that is why you should be enormously proud to be the recipient of not only a gold medal, but this, the most coveted of all rugby awards. Selwyn Davids, congratulations, my friend. You are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Well done. So, updates and previews. We are back to having a lot of rugby next weekend. And we're going to, of course, here begin with the elusive Farrah uh, Palmer Cup, where we'll have Counties Monacau hosting Canterbury, Auckland at home for Manawatu, Waikato welcoming Bay of Plenty for a battle of the undefeated. Very cool, that. Northland versus Hawks Bay, Taranaki versus Otago, and finally, Tasman at home for North Harbor. Quick update, folks. It appears, as I look now, that the FPC will continue to be carried side by side with the NPC, which is very refreshing to know. Even if the actual coverage will remain at like 55 or 60% of what's actually happening, you know, I don't want to say their name, but to be fair, good on you folks and thank you for following through in at least a modest way. It'll be nice to have both those sets of fixtures going on. So speaking of the NPC, we are getting the season going with a bang, with a round one featuring Manawatu versus Canterbury, Counties Manukau versus Otago, Waikato versus Hawke's Bay, Auckland versus North Harbour, Tasman versus Southland, Taranaki versus Northland, and finally, Wellington versus the Bay of Plenty. Somehow, we then have the rare Wednesday fixture, which will be Manawatu versus Auckland, which seems odd with no fixtures yet postponed or cancelled or anything. Very strange, but either way, you know me. I love me some midweek surprise rugby. It's the best. Of course, on the bigger stage, we're back to some sweet, sweet internationals with, on Saturday, South Africa hosting the reeling All Blacks, with a poor showing in this series, they might be in legitimate shambles. And that's, of course, followed by Los Pumas hosting the Wallabies in Buenos Aires. So, so juicy. As always, the earth turns and people continue to play rugby as they always will. And I 
am always here for it. Well, my friends, that was a quick one, but it does it for another week for us here at the Scrum of the Earth. I can tell y'all are out there taking it easy, enjoying your hot and languid summer days, not really thinking too much about rugby, but you know, that's why we're here, to keep you connected even when you find yourself in a bit of a lull, and that's why we keep coming at you each and every week, if only briefly. So, as always, thanks to all of you again for coming along, to all of you across the globe. Cheers, talk to you soon, and be well.